Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening this evening. Now, Pastor, many times I start a program by sharing a current news story. And oftentimes those news stories are somewhat discouraging as they focus on the openness or the ever-growing popularity of sin in our world. Tonight I want to share a news story that I found quite encouraging. It comes from a website called LifeSite News. It's dated May 27th of this year, so just last week. And the title is 200XLGBT Men Women Rally to Show Freedom They Found in Jesus. Uh, this is from Washington, D.C. Ex-homosexuals and ex-transgender men and women from around the country descended upon the nation's capital this weekend for the second annual Freedom March, where they proclaimed the freedom they found in abandoning homosexual and transgender practices. Look at this. This is amazing. They say we don't exist, declared an author and co-founder of the march. And one quote I just want to share, Pastor, that really summed it up for me. And this comes, if you remember a while back, there was a mass shooting at a nightclub, a homosexual nightclub in Orlando, Florida, where 49 people were killed. A survivor from that nightclub shooting, uh, Luis Ruiz, says, it wasn't a gay to straight thing. It was a lost to saved thing. And I thought that was a very powerful statement as far as He's seen that Jesus Christ is the source of his freedom. And uh, a very encouraging article. I won't take the time to read the whole thing. But just wanted to share that because sometimes it seems like the news is always discouraging and weighing us down. But there is hope. And they said that the march this year was uh, three times larger than the march last year. It's probably going to grow as well. You know, what you just quoted there reminds me of... First Corinthians chapter uh, 6, I think it is what Paul said, such were some of you. And then Paul lists, and in that list, he mentions effeminate and he mentions homosexuals. So there is freedom in Christ, there's no doubt about that. The tragedy uh, today, however, is that the, uh, take the government in California, they have made it illegitimate for even a pastor to counsel a gay person to become straight. Uh, because they believe that he was born that way and he ought to have the liberty and freedom to remain in that state. That's part of the government interference, uh, and uh, they don't help the situation. They intend to uh, foster equality, 
but they keep people in bondage. And I'm glad that uh, there are people who have been that route, uh, who are now coming out and telling the truth that there is freedom in Christ and you can be delivered from the homosexual lifestyle. It's interesting that you said, referenced being born that way, the same uh, shooting survivor in his speech, he said, we are all born into sin, baby. Even though I might be tempted every day, I choose Jesus. Correct, correct. Well, as I said uh, on another occasion, uh, because of our sinful nature, uh, a man might desire to have an affair like we'll talk about today. Man, I mean, that's why there's so much um, sexual uh, sex, um, immorality in society. I mean, you're born having a desire to fulfill your sexual drive. But again, you don't have to follow that desire because you have to find out what God's will is, understanding that that desire is contrary to God's will, and then bring in your desires under the control of the Holy Spirit, depending upon the Word, and uh, finding an accountability partner and uh, allowing Christ to change your life. Thanks for joining us on That's Truth. I don't know what you're doing this evening. Maybe you're folding laundry, maybe you're driving, maybe you're laying in bed. But I, let me encourage you to keep your radio or your phone tuned up, turned up, and tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And let me encourage you to interact with us on the program this evening. It is a live program on Tuesday evenings. Our topic this evening is extramarital affairs. And you may be thinking, whoa, this isn't something we hear discussed publicly very often. But let me propose that we need to hear it discussed. And we are not here tonight in any way to glorify extramarital affairs, but rather to discuss how affairs begin and warn you so that you can live a Christ-honoring life and stay faithful to your spouse. Pastor, as we often do when we start a topic, we define what we're talking about. Can you define what do we mean by an affair? Well, uh, affair is a really a euphemistic term that is short for adultery. But adultery is sounds so crude and so pungent that we've come up with a term that is far less offensive. So when we talk about affair, we're talking about a person who is married having an illicit relationship with somebody outside their marriage. And, and by the way, God was concerned about this because even in the Ten Commandments, he alluded to adultery twice. Not once, twice. He talked about, thou shalt not commit adultery. But then in the last commandment, he says, you shall not cover your, 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 um, your neighbor's wife. So clearly, of the, all the commandments, that's the one that's repeated twice within the commandments. And it, there must be a reason for that. He obviously sensed that that would be a problem hmm. uh, because of man's sinful nature. But adultery, I mean, uh, affairs have to do away with adultery between marital partners. And uh, even though the term is a euphemistic term, I think we conveys the idea that a person is going outside of marriage to find fulfillment sexually. Are there any other terms or uh, anything that you'd like to define as we start, or we'll jump in to cover them as we come well, across I them? would just like to make one, a few general remarks uh, about the problem. I think that even though people know that um, having an affair is demoralizing to the partner, the partner degrading and very destructive to the marriage of the family and the children, it's no secret that uh, people continue to have marital affairs and cheat on their partners. Um, and by the way, the people that they normally end up cheating with, it might surprise you, is normally somebody very close, especially a very close friend. Uh, and it's estimated statistically that between 30% and 60% of all marriage people will at some point have some kind of an affair. So it's a very serious problem that needs to be addressed. 
Um, and what is especially disturbing about the fears is that people whose people whose marriage we think um, is solid and, and they're happy and they're satisfied, we are sometimes shocked to discover that even within that kind of a partnership, someone, a third party, is coming and somehow destroyed. And I think that really disturbs us when we think about it. So I think that um, you know this is something that is ongoing, uh, something that is. Uh, a crisis, basically, in our society, something that we need to discuss. Most affairs, by the way, will last between six months to two years. And then after a while, reality sets in and uh, the person moves on. So it's not something that is generally permanent. It's just a, a temporary fling to most extent. On, on, it depends on the emotional attachment that is developed during that period of time. But eventually, reality somehow gets in and uh, the partners would normally separate and he goes on to something else, she goes on to something else. So it turns out to be devastating in the long term. As you were talking, I was just going through in my mind how prevalent affairs are in the media. Uh, I'm referencing like in TV shows and in that type of thing. I I would probably be hard-pressed to even list a well-known TV show that doesn't glorify or at least present in a positive light extramarital affairs. Yeah. Well, that is part of the environment, and uh, it's a charge environment, a thorough charge environment uh, for sexual immorality. And the television and the media and um, the cable, uh, they exploit uh, human interests in these kind of salacious uh, relationships. Uh, people enjoy these things vicariously, they probably wouldn't do it themselves, but they get a thrill out of seeing it manifested in the television program. That's why soaps are so popular, even, by the way, with some people who are supposed to be Christians. I don't know how uh, a person who is a believer can enjoy watching adultery, infidelity, betrayal, and get a kick and a thrill out of it. I think that uh, it speaks well of their heart. Something ought to be wrong with their heart. But that is the environment that's created by Hollywood, by the media, um, all around us. The environment is uh, created that fosters um, this experiment. And you remember there's also in the book of Proverbs, which is an interesting verse, in that still that stolen waters are sweet. <laughs> it also in that particular passage talk about enjoying uh, the fountain of your youth. But that's true. Uh, there, there, there is something uh, staggeringly appealing uh, to doing something naughty for some people. And this brings some kind of a, a thrill that they go after. And so, But the, 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 the uh, television and the media and books and um, the Internet, all of that um, helps to create this environment that fosters infidelity. It seems like you're referencing that it's wrong for Christians, but if I'm not a believer, if I don't claim to be a follower of Christ, is it still wrong for me to have an, an affair? Affairs are always wrong because marriage is not something that's limited to believers. Marriage is the covenant between a person, persons and God. And remember, that it's God that created marriage. So whether a person is a Christian or not, uh, any kind of affair outs, uh, that goes outside the marriage is uh, not only wrong, it's evil, it's it's immoral. And uh, as the book of Hebrews says, the marriage bed is on the file, but homongers or people who are immoral, God will judge. So there's a clear warning in Scripture that uh, 
to engage in immorality, especially adultery, uh, has very heavy consequences in the long term. Uh, God does not take this thing lightly. Uh, the breaking of a covenant that you make with God and breaking of vows uh, is is considered very serious in, in Scripture, and one can expect um, ultimate penalty that will come in, in the form of divine judgment. But again, that's you saying that from a pastor's perspective. I have an article here, and it's a 32-year-old woman who says, I'm having an affair with my friend, and she's writing to a psychologist and is getting some input, and the psychologist has a whole bunch of information about are you happy in your relationship, and then sums it up by saying, if you think you're wrong, then you're wrong. And if you think you're right, then you're right. It's your choice. So how would you respond to that? I would respond to that as pure poppycock. In other words, it is just a lot of garbage. And this is where, by the way, we have allowed psychology to infiltrate uh, culture, and um, you can find a psychologist who support almost any kind of evil. You always got some explanation as to why the person can engage in it or why he's engaged in it. You always create some kind of extenuating circumstances that ennobles the person to continue what they're doing. But uh, clearly, uh, that is something that is garbage. Um, uh, there is such a thing as morality, and there is such a thing as absolutes. And there is such a thing as marriage, and whether a person is a Christian or not is immaterial. We should be loyal to our partners, faithful to our partners, and we should stay and make sure that sex remains within the marriage. Any form of sex outside of marriage is condemned by God, is an abomination before God, and will carry eternal consequences. If you're listening and you are questioning whether to... Listen, continue to stay tuned to the program. Let me encourage you, stay tuned, and let me just share a little bit about Pastor Murphy. He's not just someone who is rambling his personal thoughts and all. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English, Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology, Master's degree in Religion, Doctorate degree in Counseling, which is very applicable for our discussion tonight, Ongoing studies with the Blackford Counseling Center in England. Has been married for over 37 years, constantly reading and studying, and I could go on and on. But he's also the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. He's been pastoring and involved in ministry on the islands of St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and Antigua for over 30 years. You're listening to That's Truth. It's a live call-in program originating from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on the island of Antigua, and we would love for you to call in and be part of the discussion. The phone number is one 462 7420 That's to be put live on the air. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, that is great also. You can send it to one 268 1454 Let me just inject something here. You know, you just mentioned uh, Blackford. Uh, I discovered it when I was doing the course there that um, I had to write them to find out. Uh, <laughs> um, I disagreed with a lot of what we're teaching. This is a secular organization? Yeah, yeah. They they do not believe that you should give any directive counseling. In other words, you don't tell people that this is wrong. And I had a, a real 
tussle with them about this matter. I mean, if something is morally wrong and the scriptures says it is wrong, uh, why can I be mute about it? The book of Proverbs is a book that's very didactic. It teaches you things. It teaches you principles. It tells you what to do. So to suggest that you can't practice that directive counseling and offer people counsel and advice based on what scripture gives you, uh, really, really, uh, in my mind, it damages your capacity to really help people. Uh, if you believe that people have all the all the resident answers within, and you just need to pull out the answer that they have, you really can't help people. So sometimes, in, att- in an attempt to become uh, secularly recognized in a, with a degree or whatever, we buy a lot of garbage, and we we uh, we we actually follow certain principles that are clearly contrary to Scripture. And I want to warn people about that. You know, um, the Bible offers counsel that is higher than any human counsel that can be offered because it comes from God. Uh, He is the person who made man. Uh, He has a blueprint for our lives. And the scriptures are full of direct counsel as to how what God expects us as to how we're supposed to live. So it's right and proper that a pastor or a counselor uh, should use the book, the Word of God, to help people. Uh, There's no other manual available that has as wise uh, answers as you find in scripture. Am I safe to assume that you've done a lot of reading, not just in preparation for this program, but in counseling couples down through the years on this topic of marital affairs and how they start? Yeah, yeah. this is a big problem, believe you me. If people only were aware how big the problem is, uh, it's in sometimes among church members that people don't have a clue. Mm. Uh, they think the couple have got it all together, and if they only knew the story, uh, it'd be a shocker. So it's a, it's a big problem, and... Uh, it, it every time it happens, uh, you should not be surprised. But sometimes the people that get involved, it, it really is a surprise. I've reached the point now in my ministry that I am almost surprised truth proof. In other words, I've seen so much, heard so much, and uh, that I begin to realize that every human being is made a foot of clay, and anything is possible. Mm. So all you can do at this juncture in your life is try to take Scripture and use the Scripture to try to help people. Uh, but it's a, it's a really, really huge problem in, in the church and outside the church. This topic is very broad, and you could be approaching it from many different ways. But let's start by talking about some of the myths that are put out there about affairs? Well, there's so many false concepts about uh, infidelity and affairs as to um, be what people think about it. For example, uh, generally people, a lot of people think that uh, people into affairs just because of, of, of lust or sex. That is generally not true. Uh, more frequently than not, people get involved into affairs because there is some unmet need, especially some emotional need, especially in relation to women, that is not met by their partner. And it's not as though they're rushing into a sexual encounter. Uh, Generally speaking, people don't get involved sexually until they become involved emotionally. So to assume that uh, people just enter it just out of the regard, out of lust and sex, is a, a misunderstanding of the complexity of the problem. And people need to understand that really it is more of an emotional need that is not met, normally an unspoken need. The physical component follows after that emotional need is met. So I think that's one of the great myths that is just a raw sex that people are looking for. Uh, the other um, myth that I think is important that um, people who get involved with affairs will normally choose a partner that is more attractive than their spouse. 
You know, they they generally think that maybe she has something that the spouse doesn't have. She's not attracted. That's just again, that's not necessarily true. Uh, I mentioned again is generally speaking for a man it is physical attraction for a woman is emotional uh, an emotional need and many times men get involved with women really in truth and fact that are less attractive than their, their wives and that's because that the wife is uh, neglecting some area of the life in the life of the partner or um, because uh, he's not expressing uh, his need so his wife can't respond to his need and he's trying to seek fulfillment outside but generally it's not that because the other person is uh, physically more attractive uh, that's not generally true and then uh, a third myth is that Christian marriages are immune from affairs it's estimated that 50% of all Christian marriages at some point in time will involve in some kind of an affair. 50%? 50%. You're talking a physical affair, not... I'm talking about physical, sexual uh, affair. Um, and that's, the, the, uh, that's, that's the, the illusion that we are safe within the setting of the church and that these things don't happen in the church or with believers. Uh, it's a myth. Um, and then the, the reason for that, by the way, is because sometimes we allow personal issues in our marriage to override our value system. And uh, meeting a particular need, uh, 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 emotional need, a psychological need, becomes more important than holding to the biblical standards. Uh, a fourth myth is that um, if a person gets involved in an affair, especially a Christian, it will generally end up, most cases, end up in divorce. Again, that's a big myth. Um, generally speaking, between two-thirds, three-thirds, and uh, two-thirds and three-quarters of all marriages, Christian marriages that have gone into affairs, have been salvageable with the proper approach to counseling. And normally, it's really dependent on the faithful partner's response uh, to the affair. So it doesn't mean the end of a marriage because there has been an affair. Uh, it's uh, the success rate of um, revamping that marriage and rebuilding that marriage is, is very, very high, between two-thirds and three-quarters percent. It's much higher than I would have expected. Yeah. Well, th- again, that's the myth out there that an affair ends a relationship. That's mm-hmm. not true. It doesn't end, but the, the, the onus, the real onus is on the, the faithful partner. Generally speaking, it's their response and what they're prepared, if they're prepared to work on it. So the onus is more on the faithful partner than the, the, the person who's committed the infidelity. Uh, and that is where it, the possibility of success and renewal of the marriage is dependent on that person. Um, another myth is that the fact that a person gets involved in a fear indicates that the person doesn't love their partner. Again, that's a really big myth. Uh, most people that get in the fears do love their partner, but things happen. Um, in some cases, it's just a, a human weakness. Uh, in some cases, because of the isolated contact with a particular person in privacy and the attachment that develops, it, it, it grows, and after a prolonged period of time, uh, the chemistry begins to to react, and that leads to. Inf- but it's not that they don't love their partner; they love their partner. But it's just the environment helps to create that um, that act. Uh, another myth is that when an affair uh, takes place, uh, the offended party, the best thing for that person is to pretend and uh, and avoid any major disruption and just go on as though nothing has happened. Uh, there must be confrontation. Uh, I recommend a book um, 
uh, written by Jennifer uh, Snyder, uh, which is titled Back from Betrayal, Recovery from an Affair. Uh, she deals fairly extensively with this matter that you have to confront the person at some point in time and uh, if you let it slide and pretend it didn't happen or don't talk about it, uh, it eventually fosters brooded resentment within you and an anger that is there and you feel so betrayed and uh, many, many times it, it, you feel so demeaned as well because you wonder, why, did, how did I fail? And uh, you begin to question your sexuality and your femininity or your masculinity. And uh, as long as you have that on your mind, eventually uh, it will cause explosion within the marriage. So keeping silent is not the issue. There must be some confrontation and discussion of what happened and then uh, trying to identify what were the causes, how each part contributed, and then how to deal with it and how to avoid it in the future. So those are some of the six uh, simple myths, but when you take them collectively, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about affairs, and I think this helps to clarify the issue and give more hope uh, that there can be restoration after an affair takes place. We live in a secular world, and we're bombarded with secular ideas all the time. So I have an article here of 12 ways that an extramarital affair will help your marriage. And I'm not going to take the time (laughs) for all 12, but I want to throw three of them your way and hear your response from a biblical approach. Number one, the first way that an extramarital affair can help your marriage, this secular author says, it boosts your confidence. How would you respond to that, Pastor? Uh, you know, I, in going through this tonight, when we talk about some of the causes, it might surprise you that um, a sagging marriage where the flame has gone out, there's no fire in it, whatever, it's become coldness, the person doesn't want to leave the partner. Uh, the they really love the partner, but this thing, uh, surprisingly enough, there are some people that try to compensate for the lack of the husband by turning to an affair. That's the rationale. We can reason anything we want to. Um, but I suppose if a person um, feels that the uh, the partner, the spouse is not finding them attractive or finding them appealing or not meeting their sexual needs and they begin to wonder about their self-image, etc., etc. In a very warped way, I can see a person <coughs> thinking that by getting engaged in a uh, an affair that uh, this would kind of boost their self-concept and their, their, their um, capacity. I can see that. But again, we don't do evil and do wrong and go contrary to Scripture. Uh, because we just want to meet some kind of a physical need. It would be better in a situation like that to either pursue counseling, uh, if you can't pursue counseling, and I'm not too sure what the relation is between the husband and the wife, to really have a, a conversation about what is going on. Uh, if it is because um, um, the frequency of the intimacy has diminished over a period of time, um, there may be causes for that. Uh, a, a man's libido, as he gets older, that wanes. Uh, it could also be a woman, for example, she reaches her sexual peak in her 30s. After she passes her 30s, the curve goes down. So there may be several, several reasons. But if it is because of negligence, or uh, I mean, there's no matter of impotency, there's no physical reason why there should not be some uh, ongoing 
a dynamic sexual relationship. I think partners ought to be able to discuss that and try to find out what is happening and try to maybe rebuild the romance, um, get a stint at maybe a hotel for a weekend once in a while, find out what we can do. The worst thing could happen is that to see it deteriorating and do nothing about it, and that leads to frustration. And I can see in a very warped sense somebody thinking that maybe I can uh, rebuild my confidence that I'm so sexually potent and sexually attractive by experimenting on a sexual affair. But what is not told is the guilt that follows that. Any Christian that is married that goes into an affair, even though for a while it may be sweet in the mouth, it may be sour in the belly, because eventually guilt kicks in. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Word of God brings conviction. Being in church brings conviction. So a short experimentation eventually can create a great burden of guilt upon you. So it's not a good trade, to be honest with you, and it's not recommended. Um, and I think that a person who offers that kind of counsel could never be a Christian pastor, could never be a Christian counselor. It had to be a secular person who has no concept of values. What's another, the other one? Another one is you own yourself, and that'll be uh, fostered and encouraged and reminded uh, as you are in an extramarital affair. You own yourself. Well, again, um, remember there's a secular counselor um, for Christian we don't own ourselves. We belong to God. We purchase. So a believer has to think far different than a secular person who's given this kind of advice. Um, the book of First Corinthians chapter 6 says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul goes on to say that you're bought with a price, you're not your own. So again, this is uh, war- um, warped counseling, contrary to biblical principles, full of just uh, secular sentiment. Uh, but claiming ownership for yourself even on a secular level is false. When you get married, they're no longer two. You're one person. So you're, you surrender your individuality for this mutual mutuality between the two of you. So the idea that this is me, this is my body, I can do what I want with it, that ought to be dealt with long before a person is married, even from a secular context, understanding that you're now becoming one and this unity uh, must not be shattered. So the idea that I can, it's my, I'm, I'm one, it's my body, I can do what I need to do, it's a myth, a great myth. Another one is you could bring back a spark into your marriage. Well, you can be more smart because of AIDS and herpes and the other 25 STDs out there. No question about that. Uh, but at what price again? Guilt, tremendous guilt. And then when your partner finds out about your extramarital fear, it could lead to total breakdown of trust within the marriage and it fractures the marriage. Uh, I think the advice that's being given there is bogus. Uh, I think it is purely from a secular point of view. And I think it hurts more in long-term. Short-term gains, yes. Long-term um, tragedies, uh, I see that happening more as a result of these, this kind of decision and this kind of thinking. And one final one, you become a happier person because you have an extramarital affair. You can never be happy with an extramarital affair. You'll be happy for a period of time. But remember, most extramarital affairs only last between six months and two years. And then you have to face that person walking into the office, meeting them on the streets. Uh, You're hoping that that person hasn't told anybody else. And chances are that if that person is a, a even a, a non-Christian, uh, for sure, there's some friend he's going to share that with, and that friend has a friend who's going to share it with. And before you know it, you're living and going through and walking as though you're walking on eggshells, wondering when it's going to crack. 
Be sure your sin will find your you out. Your sin will find you out. So it, it's you know it sounds pleasant and it sounds attractive to hear these kind of things. And especially, we all have a tendency to want to rationalize to do evil. Uh, man has an affinity for evil that's inexplicable, and but it's part of our nature. And so when we have somebody who is an expert who seem to be qualified and maybe a psychologist or counselor, and he's advised, that becomes another reason and a rationale that aids and assists us to want to go in a wayward path, which is the bent of our nature. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. This evening, we are discussing extramarital affairs. We would love for you to call in, ask a question about this topic, or maybe it's another question you have about life or about the Bible or why the Bible says or doesn't talk about a particular topic. Give us a call. The phone number to be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420. Maybe you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, and you can do that. 1-268-782-142. And if you want to send your question and remain anonymous, since this is kind of a uh, delicate topic this evening, feel free to, when you send your question, to mention that you'd like to remain anonymous, and we will not even mention where the question is coming from. Again, the WhatsApp or text question can be sent to one 782 one four five four, or you can comment your question on the Facebook Live video feed. Thank you for those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live, Pastor. Let's transition to what causes affairs. And I realize that there's going to be a whole multitude of things, but what are some of the main causes? Um, there's, there, as you said, there are uh, multifaceted reasons that people get into affairs. Uh, I don't have a particular order I like to discuss them. I'd just like to share uh, several of them with you. One of the big ones, especially for people of mature age, um, people going out of their 40s now into their, their 50s, etc., is uh, a result of uh, the developmental stage that is often called uh, midlife crisis. Uh, that is one of the most dangerous periods in a person's life and affairs are very very common during this midlife crisis Uh, men attempt to recapture the fleeting youth and masculinity that they once had they find that their libido is beginning to wane Uh, sometimes uh, their marriage has reached a stage of stagnation and as a result of that, there seemed to be a desire to have an affair to cover up the sense of discontent with how the marriage is going. Uh, women, of course, uh, unless the husband is complimenting them, uh, they've now put on some weight, they get in some flab, uh, they are getting a little bit on the big side, and they begin to wonder um, why the husband doesn't compliment them about the shape, about you know these different types of things, and they begin to have doubts about their own self-image, the doubt about their attractiveness. The husband no longer seems to find them attractive, and it's during this midlife crisis period uh, that um, these affairs tend to happen because both parties are trying to regain 
either their femininity or their masculinity and their image and they want to feel that they're still worth and they're still attractive and this could lead um, down that line. I don't know if you're aware that during our midlife, there are so many factors that drain us that we have to deal with that um, in a sense, it, it creates a real, real crisis for us. For example, you got the effects of aging, you don't have the physical strength, you don't have the sexual drive or interest or ability. Uh, sometimes you your gray hair is there, you're losing your hair. Um, uh, sometimes the, the, the body sh is beginning to not look like a Coke bottle any longer, it's looking like a, 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 a figure of a one. Uh, these things begin to happen. Uh, sometimes our career goals were not realized that we thought we would achieve by the time we come to middle age, um, middle age. Sometimes we have achieved the goal we've set, but then it doesn't bring the satisfaction that we feel it should have. And sometimes we feel that we've done so much for our family, for our wife, for our children, and there may be a sense that people don't really appreciate us as much as we, they should. And all of these uh, factors, we've got to care for aging parents. We've got to try to deal with that. And then, of course, we've got to deal, begin to deal with the prospect of our own death. All of these uh, factors uh, seem to hone in on us during that mid-year mid period of our lives. And unless there is a dynamic, ongoing relationship between the, the partners, it can lead the person to be thinking of getting a fling on the outside to rekindle the flame and get some excitement that is lost. Um, and of course, if uh, uh, partners are not creative in their sexuality, etc., um, and it's just the same old routine, you can have um, a person imagining that with a younger person, and this is where the attraction happens, by the way, normally a man going through a midlife crisis is not looking for a woman who's going through a midlife crisis. He's looking for a partner who's much younger. Uh, it's interesting that in the case of David, and David became a fairly old man, and um, some, uh, you remember that his counselors were trying to find a, a young girl called Abishai, uh, to warm David, that's the same concept here, that you're trying to reinvigorate your waning uh, youthfulness. So midlife crisis, I think, is one of the big problems that men face when all of these different issues, and unless there's an ongoing relationship to keep the flame going with the partner, it can lead to deterioration and lack of fulfillment and the belief, the myth myth mythical belief that somebody younger or more attractive uh, would, would somehow bring back some new life to them. Uh, it can happen. A second reason, of course, is um, something you might just call somebody who has a passionate sexual attraction for a person. Now, you and I um, sometimes can't decide who we're attracted to. You meet one person and you're just attracted to the person. You meet other people and there's no attraction there at all. So there's something, some chemistry that happens, but there are some people who become uh, attractive to a person and that leads to a kind of a sex drive. And uh, they believe that uh, romantic involvement would just give them a ple pleasurable interlude out of the dull um, uh, routine relationship. And they get involved in a sexual affair and it's just purely a sexual passion that drives them towards this act. And they like the flattering attention of this person, and um, sometimes it's because the marriage is not not is, is not working out properly. So you've got the midlife crisis, you've got the passionate sex attraction of a person that is 
drawn to this person because this person just appeals to them. And then there's the, the other cause is the inattention of a spouse. Um, this happens on both sides. Uh, and by the way, the, the, the danger when you begin to have children is this is a real crisis. So I don't know if people realize this or not, but everything changes once children come. Uh, the amount of time you spend together, that changes. The attention that was given to, to each partner by each partner, that changes. Uh, they are now more exhausted than they used to be. They had time with themselves, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the attention was towards each other. A child comes, and most women are 200% trying to care for the child. And they may not know, realize in the process that they're neglecting their husband. Now, he can't tell her that because it seems as though he's selfish. So he suffers silently. And while the relationship is deteriorating, the, the children are being given attention to, but the husband is being neglected. Uh, and that can lead to a, a, a partner um, deciding to, to make a move and in, 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 in getting the fear uh, to get their particular needs met that are being neglected by the partner. Uh, another reason, of course, is that some people get into fear as a ploy just to end the marriage. They make no bones about it. They want the fear and they want the, the person to know. And they are relieved of the guilt of having to go through the legal procedure themselves. So they put the onus on the partner to proceed for the legal procedure. Uh, I mean, it's cruel. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they, they realize that my partner is not going to put up with this. So they continue doing it until the partner sues for a divorce. Another thing is revenge. Uh, don't ever forget avenge, uh, revenge. Deep anger and outrage about being neglected or feel abused or being taken for granted or they discover that the partner has had an affair. Uh, the spirit of uh, revenge, I'm going to get back, you know. Uh, uh, the way you're treating me, there's somebody out there who can treat me better. And out of spite, uh, hoping to hurt the person when it's found out. But uh, don't ever dismiss the concept that out of vengeance, uh, that may be done. And that third party that's being used in that situation is just being set up for heartache also. Heartache, heartache, heartache. heartache. But don't forget that the other person who is uh, involved in the infidelity that they too have got moral issues. Yeah. Uh, they also realize that they're, they, they, they're also <coughs> cheating uh, as well in, in the whole man. So they, they get what they eventually uh, is coming their way. And then uh, I mentioned uh, when we first began that sometimes to supp supplement a waning marriage, a uh, person get involved because they're starved for intimacy. It's not that they want to leave their partner. They have no plans at all of divorcing their partner. They, the partner may be a good provider, take care of the children, meet the needs, but he just has lost interest in the relationship and it's just in a house. There's no longer any flame in the relationship and the person has no intention of leaving the partner, but they need a kick in life. And uh, sometimes the walk we're thinking and the walk we're rationalizing can lead that person down that road. And then another thing, of course, uh, is to cover personal inadequacies. Uh, suppose a person is having sexual dysfunction, um, having bouts where they are impotent at times. Uh, they can believe that a change of partner and a change of venue and a change of environment and atmosphere could be a great boost now and and uh, we trigger what was there. And so it, to compensate 
for that, they can end up in a fair. Go ahead. Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Please go ahead with your question. Thank you for calling. Uh, good, good evening, uh, brethren. Good evening, sir. Uh, just a quick question. Sure. Uh, do you counsel um, married couples um, about the same problems that they are having in the relationship or to every time um, in the with your counseling that there's a different situation that's happening? Is the same thing you're counseling them for? Well, wh- what I do normally speaking when a person requests can come to counseling, mm-hmm. one of the things I do, I, I give you a information gathering form that to try to get information uh, because sometimes <laughs> we're dealing with surface matters. Uh-huh. We've got to get to the root of the problem. Sometimes there are long-standing issues that have never been dealt with. So mm-hmm. I try to gather uh, information by giving them a fairly extensive form to fill out uh, to answer the questions as best as they can. And I try to cover uh, their family life. I try mm-hmm. to cover uh, their uh, Christian life. I try to cover their financial life. I try to cover their inti- intimate life. Uh-huh. And I try to cover their own personality, etc. In other words, I try to, after I get that, I try to gather from that what, is, what are some of the problem areas that I can identify. Because sometimes it's just ticking a box. Uh, sometimes I want an explanation. But you need, to, you need to gather as much information before you start counseling. The other thing is this. Yeah. I normally give a form that um, the person is asked the question, uh, why are you here? Um, what you think is the problem? How do you think I can help you? Uh, so I try to get that because the person may be able to, you know, the problem the person identifying may not be the real problem, may not be the underlying problem, it might be the surface problem. Yeah. So I try to get that as well so that um, by, and so they fill it out first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then take that and I, I study it. You know, I look at it from different angles, pray over it to see exactly what is happening. Mm-hmm. And then I begin to see if there's any patterns that I can see there and any major issues. And then out of that information gathering, plus the form that they fill out as to what they perceive to the problem, yeah. I then identify what I consider to be some of the major issues mm-hmm. and uh, bring that to the attention of the couple and ask them, are you prepared to let us go through these things? And, and many, many times, by the way, um, I ask that the partner mm-hmm. sit and listen. Don't say a word. Let the other partner tell you what the problem is. Don't, don't, don't defend yourself. Don't answer. Right. Just sit quiet and just let the person talk, and uh, no response whatsoever. Okay. And then, uh, then I would, then I will reverse that, uh-huh. where the other partner now can say what they want to say. A lot of things come out then, right. uh, but. You know, unless you've got information and you can uh-huh. identify the problem, you, you're just uh, dealing with, you're cutting off the, the top of the, 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 um, the grass and the right. root is underground. You want to get at the root. What's the real root problem? Okay. Um, so I have another question. Sure. Um, now, is it scriptural for a married couple to be having issues at home, but yet still um, they still would want to take part in um, uh, uh uh, in the church, doing different roles or whatever the case may be. Is it scriptural for that married couple to still be operating like this when there is a problem at home that they need to work on first? It happens all the time, but I think it depends on the nature of the problem. I think if it's affecting their capacity to function and they feel that they're hypocrites, 
I think that they ought to sit down together and say, "Listen, let, let's 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 put a hold to this. Let's go and talk to the pastor, to the deacons. We don't have to give them all the details, but just say, listen, 'Listen, we're having some problems we're trying to work on, and we think we, we think we need to take a break now until we've resolved these kind of issues.' I think that's the proper, the, the better approach. Uh, uh, but if you do feel that it's affecting how you minister and you feel the sense that of guilt about, you know, we're being hypocrites in this regard. I think it's time to call time out. And you don't have to tell people what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, look, we we need to come to the church in this situation, the church, where we understand that we're human beings and people have problems. Yeah. And we ought to stop judging what people... When a guy comes and says to me, Pastor, I want to be relieved of this particular thing. Uh, I said, listen, if you want to talk, if he doesn't want to talk, you know, I am not going to f- try to find out all the details because we have to be able to trust people that they make the right decision in this regard, and we must have their best welfare in heart. Uh-huh. So however we can help them, we try to do that. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. God bless. Thanks for calling. Okay. Thank you very much for that call. And Pastor, a question, WhatsApp question came in from a listener. It says, good night. Thanks for bringing us another topic. And there's three parts to it. The first part is, what is the definition of marriage? Marriage basically is uh, a covenant between two individuals before God. And there are certain vows that the couple pledge uh, to, um, death to your part, um, health and sickness, you know, the, the whole routine that we go through in regard to the vows that are read at the... But it is basically a covenant between a man and a woman before God uh, to live together exclusive of any, any other persons. And uh, it is supposed to be an enduring marriage that is permanent where the two people work to becoming one, as the Bible says. So I, I would think that would be a proper definition of marriage. But there's a legal aspect to it as well, by the way. So even though you're meeting the the, uh, the biblical standard that you're vowing before God and pledging before God to exclusively uh, join together as husband and wife to meet each other's physical needs and uh, take care of each other until death do apart. Uh, a Christian can't violate the laws of a country. For example, uh, some countries require that you get married at, at only at 18 or 21. Uh, it'd be wrong for you to violate that unless you get the proper legal procedure. And even though you're going to a marriage, uh, it is not legally binding. Uh, there are also marriages that there are certain um, family line. You can't marry your cousin. You can't marry again. You can't violate those kind of laws. Uh, otherwise, your, your your marriage is, is null and void. And then the other thing is marriage is a commitment to consummate the marriage with um, a sexual um, experience a person going into marriage and not willing to uh, to finalize that uh, annuls the marriage uh, so you need to be follow the biblical st- standard in terms of the vows before God and understand the covenant you're making before God that's permanent uh, but it also has some legal obligations that need to be considered as well so if that's the case and this is a follow up of the listener's question when a person of the same sex, when people of the same sex come together in a relationship, can that be called a marriage or is it called something else? No, mar- marriage is between male and female. That's the definition of marriage. I, I didn't know that the angle the person was coming from. I should have mentioned that. That if you go into the book of Genesis, uh, there are certain principles that are laid down in the book of Genesis with respect to marriage. Um, for example, marriage must be between a male and a female. 
um, that is very, very clear that God created a man and God created a woman. Uh, the other thing about marriage is that marriage is, uh, God is involved in the marriage. Uh, the first marriage was God that brought Adam and Eve together. Uh, and uh, Jesus said, what God have joined together, let no man uh, pull asunder. So the, there's the element of vowing before God. The, the other thing about marriage is that marriage involves children. I don't know if people realize that. I would not marry anybody uh, who would say to me, Pastor, I don't want children because children are part of a marriage. As a matter of fact, it might surprise some people that um, sometimes uh, uh, children help to keep the marriage together when there are difficulties and problems until that hurdle is uh, overcome. The fact that you have obligations to your, 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 your children often would keep a marriage together when it's going through trouble until it's restored. And then, of course, companionship is another uh, basis for marriage. Um, and that means people meeting uh, the obligation. And I mentioned, of course, the, the intimacy. is. Um, so when you go to Genesis, it's very, very clear that God set down certain principles that are expected of people who are going into marriage. People who don't want to follow those principles, uh, it's not advised that they would go into a marriage relationship. Another question that has just come in via WhatsApp. At what point, Pastor, would you advise separation due to a marital affair? I'm not giving you a pass on easy questions tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Um, look, I am. God hates divorce, and I would do anything in my power to try to keep people together. But there are situations, and I believe that biblically there are two grounds for divorce. One is infidelity or unfaithfulness or a person who commits adultery. It doesn't mean that because adultery has been committed that it's automatic that divorce should follow. I think that um, that should try to be resolved and uh, whatever mistakes were made uh, and whatever confession needs to be made. And I think a strategy has to be put in place so that it's not a repeat but it takes two to tangle, and it would require that the other person is really willing to work on the marriage. I am not going to suggest that any woman or any man stay with any person who is repeatedly involved in infidelity. You are actually endangering your life today. Uh, there might have been a time in the 60s when the only two things you'll get is what you call gonorrhea and syphilis. But there are 25 other STDs out there now. And some of them just as lethal as AIDS, by the way, that people are not talking about. Uh, so I would not recommend that a person stay together uh, if there's repeated infidelity. I think separation is in order. And um, I feel that if the person has committed adultery and uh, you would want to separate from them for a period of time with the, with the view that there could be some kind of restoration and maybe some kind of counseling process going on, uh, I think you can work on that. But again, if you reach the point where this has become overbearing, you've done everything within your power, within reason, and the infidelity continues, you have a legitimate basis for divorce. And if you have a legitimate basis for divorce, you have a legitimate basis for remarriage. The other uh, mention about divorce is found in uh, Corinthians chapter 7, uh, where Paul talks about uh, a person who's abandoned by their partner. That's like a guy being married here, and then suddenly the wife or the husband gets up and flies away to England. You don't even know where the person is and just disappears. Um, that's a basis for divorce as well. Uh, so those are the two grounds of divorce. But generally speaking, I would recommend that you uh, try to stay together, try to get counseling, try to get some kind of accountability. But if there's persistent infidelity, um, I would never recommend that you remain in that situation. Uh, your life is in jeopardy. Your child's life is in jeopardy. 
And I don't think that God, the Bible says that God has called us to peace. Uh, read Corinthians chapter 7, God has called us to peace. I don't think that that kind of emotional trauma uh, repeatedly going through again and again, uh, the physical fear that you can contract some kind of a disease. And by the way, your partner, whoever your partner sleeps with, every disease that other person has, he brings into your house. So think about that for just a moment. And chances are, if he's fooling around with somebody else, I would hazard a guess that person is fooling around with 10 other people. Uh, so it's a very hazardous situation. And I would caution you that um, you need to be very careful and watchful. You want to be there not just for your partner. You want to be there for your children. You want to make sure you, you've got longevity and you can take care of your children. You don't want to end up with some kind of a disease where within a few years your life has come to an end or it creates some major problem, health problem for you. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on Tuesday evening from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Studios in Antigua. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 782 one four five four. And Pastor, we have another WhatsApp question that has come in. Good evening. My question is: In a marriage, if one partner decides to leave and get a divorce, can the other spouse remarry? Well, again, that goes back to Corinthians chapter seven. The person who left and got divorced. Yes, you have a right to remarry. In my judgment, what I'm not going to endorse is the guilty party. Uh, the guilty party has no basis of div- uh, of divorce and remarriage. But wouldn't I, there be an aspect where? each party is guilty of something? That may be true, but the fact that the other person has left and gone off and, and married somebody uh, is a clear indication that the relationship is over. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying, marriage is between two people, two become one. A third party always destroys uh, that oneness. And once that oneness is destroyed, basically, fundamentally, marriage is destroyed. And that's why we need to uh, be very, very careful. Um you know, man is fallen. Man has a sinful nature. We've got to be willing to forgive and pardon. But repeated infidelity, uh, I would never suggest that anybody remains in a situation of repeated infidelity. Would you encourage someone to get a divorce or just to separate? I would generally recommend uh, separation. But here's the thing. The biblical grounds, one of the biblical grounds of divorce is, is infidelity. So what I would normally recommend to people is that you... You separate. Generally, person who leaves and don't want any more to hit end up being in some kind of adultery. So that now fractures the whole relationship. In other words, to, for my conscience' sake and for the person's conscience' sake, if divorce is uh, one of the reasons for divorce is infidelity, and um, you know it's just a matter of time if the person leaves and leaves you or whatever it is that they get involved in some kind of infidelity. So for conscience' sake, you just follow the biblical model. But. Um, I generally would recommend separation and uh, hopefully there's some kind of a healing and some people may have the capacity to do that. Uh, that that would be the general recommendation. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 829. Thanks for joining us on That's Truth. We really appreciate your interaction and your questions that you're sending in. We have another one that just popped up, Pastor. Sure. If God ordained marriage, or as it is known that marriage comes from God, does that mean that the world is doing or then with a man and woman can't be called marriage? I'm not too sure. Um, I'm trying to 
decipher what is being said there, but I'm not. Let me, let me read what it again. It here. If God ordained marriage as to be known as the marriage, if God ordained marriage, or as it is known that marriage comes from God, does that mean that the world is doing or than with? I, th- if I had to guess, Pastor, I think the reference seen talking about homosexual oh, okay. relationships yeah. is that truly marriage? Yeah, let, let me put it very bluntly and very clearly. Uh, even if the government of Antigua redefines marriage to incorporate same-sex marriage, it doesn't make it right. I have said repeatedly uh, on this program more than once, because something is legal, it doesn't mean it is right. And uh, it is going to happen within the Caribbean. It's just a necessity because of the outside force that we placed upon our governments and the social agenda of these uh, first world countries. They are bent on normalizing um, homosexuality and lesbianism, transgender. They're bent on doing that. And they see it as a means of creating an egalitarian society. Uh, but God has set moral laws, and God has given us a sacred book called the Scriptures. And no matter what man does, if he goes contrary to Scripture, it is not a marriage. There is no such thing as marriage uh, that does not involve a male and a female. Uh, two men or two women cannot marry. Uh, and that is a, an abomination. It's not recognized in heaven. It's a sin. It's a perversion. And governments that support that kind of morality, uh, those who lead this, those governments are going to be held before God, accountable before God at the great right throne. Pastor, let's get back to our what you were discussing. You were discussing the causes of an affair. Yeah. Do you have any more of those? Yeah, the other thing I would like to mention is a lot has to do with the uh, the environment that a person may find themselves in. Um, it will either encourage a person to be faithful to their partner or the atmosphere can actually uh, trigger the desire for infidelity. Um, I, I uh, take, take the workplace, for example. I think this is the leading cause of infidelity. No question about that. Uh, you take a, a person who is having some struggles at home with their partner, um, uh, they come to work. They always meet pleasant people, well dressed, well perfumed, very attractive. And the thing about it that they're in contact at, at a personal level, uh, very very frequently. And depending on the work hours, uh, it could eventually lead for them to be fairly private in the working environment over a period of time. And then if that person is prepared to listen to the difficulties the person is having at home with their partner, uh, there is absolutely no doubt that an emotional attachment uh, develops. And as long as there's an emotional attachment between a male and a female, it eventually leads to some kind of physical attraction. And that eventually leads to the couch or to the bed. That is... So um, people get into affairs uh, a lot within the working environment, and especially if you've got people who think it is fun uh, to have affairs, and that is being voiced. 
and people are talking about what they did on Saturday and, and bam, 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 and you're overhearing this kind of stuff, uh, it can actually break down your moral resistance. And in some ways, uh, you could be subtly eavesdropping and find yourself drifting in that direction. So I think that's another important uh, uh, important issue, the environment that would, would lead to that as well. When you re- reference the office or the workplace as being a common place, this study comes from a secular news a- organization, and the number one place was the office where yeah. people meet their extramarital uh, fling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number two was at the gym. Number three was on social media. Number four was through the social circle. Number five, at a volunteering gig. And number six, in the church. Yeah, it's very significant. Uh, the other th- another reason why people get into affairs, of course, of course, is to advance their career. Uh, it's purely economics. They have set their mind on some career, but the career path leads to the boss. And uh, many people get involved in affairs with the boss because... He is the one that can either advance them or he's the one that can actually hold them down. And that can lead to very, very strong attachment in that regard. Another thing is uh, when a person is going through personal financial woes, uh, when a marriage is um, fractured by financial issues, it leads to a lot of bickering and arguments and it's a very vulnerable people, uh, vul- vulnerable period in a marriage. And uh, when that individual now finds somebody that they can download this kind of information to and find that they're a good listener, and then that person say, you know, well, you know what, let me help you. Out of that financial help, uh, there develops a sense of obligation that I, somehow I, I need to express my appreciation. And generally speaking, uh, that leads very frequently to some kind of infidelity as though you got to pay the person back, not in kind. Sometimes the person says, you don't need to pay me back. So that, that puts the onus of some obligation, maybe some other way I can do that. But financial issues in a marriage really can lead a person uh, seeking help outside. And I don't have to tell you, there are a lot of predators out there who have means, who are eager just to find out that the person is going to a financial struggle and they're the rescue bank but uh, they're going to ask for dividends after a while as well so it, it always leads to that kind of thing so I think that is a, those are some of the reasons and then um, another thing brother Nathan is marrying the person somebody that you really don't really love marrying for the wrong reason marriage goes on okay for a while and everything is going dandy but as the years pass and you've got less and less compatibility with the person, less and less interest in what is there, you now have a marriage that is just a shell. There's no connectivity. There's nothing real there. That, uh, that So you didn't plan for this period in your life that you would feel so lonely even though you married the person. And it finally dawns on you that there's no commonality between you and the person and uh, there's no longer any chemistry there. And that can lead to you trying to find what is called your soul partner, the person you can really, really relate to. Uh, I think that's another reason that it happens. You were referencing earlier, uh, going back to the workplace, I, I may not have even been in the workplace, you're talking about an emotional bond. Most affairs start with an emotional bond. 
Am I hearing you right that if I find myself starting to be emotionally attracted or attached to someone of the opposite sex in the workplace or in whatever environment I'm in, that I should put the brakes on so that I shouldn't allow any emotional attachment? You must be a Daniel. <laughs> That's wisdom in its very gist. Uh, you don't play with your feelings. When you sense that there is definitely some kind of a emotional attraction between you and a person, um, you must guard against being alone with that person, isolation. Constantly, uh, consciously, deliberately avoid being with that person too frequent and being alone because emotions don't disappear. They grow and they develop gradually. And generally speaking, when you are uh, emotionally attracted to some person, uh, if, if, the pers if it's their beauty and uh, it's their shape, if it's their mannerisms, that's not going to go away. That's not going to go away. Uh, if it is the, uh, the thoughtfulness, the kindness, uh, their response to you, the way they make you feel when they talk to you, uh, they ennoble you and dignify you and, and give you a sense that uh, you're somebody special. That's not going to go away either. And the more you're together, the more that's going to grow. So you're going to have to put some brakes on it. Otherwise, it's going to get closer and closer and closer. And uh, if you're not a wise person, you can eventually become entangled with that relationship. And it leads ultimately, as I said, emotional attraction eventually leads to physical involvement. So you've got to preempt one before the other one happens. Pastor, a question that's come in from another Caribbean island. Good night, Pastor. You indicated that infidelity and abandonment are the two reasons for divorce. What about physical and psychological abuse? Well, I don't have... I'm looking at biblical basis. I can't... Uh, I can't... I can't deal with that. When I say can't deal with that, there's no biblical grounds that say that because I'm verbally or physically abused, whatever it is, I have a basis for divorce. So there's no biblical grounds for that. I would recommend separation in that case. Uh, and by the way, I would not recommend a woman stay with a, a man who is beating her or physically abusing her or, as she said there, uh, verbally abusing her or the different other psychologically abusing her, whatever it is. I think there needs to be some kind of a separation there and try to pursue some kind of counseling, some kind of restoration. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, um, there's no biblical ground for divorcing a person outside of those two that I mentioned. Um, uh, listen, there are people who have, I don't want to say this, but some people who have suffered for Christ uh, and endured a lot for Christ. They didn't make uh, the comfort and the ease uh, the immediate reason for jumping out of a marriage. There are people who have stayed in the marriage with drunkards for years, a drug addict for years, because of the commitment they've always before God. Uh, and I think sometimes we've got to understand that marriage sometimes requires sacrifice. And because... Uh, I think yours, it always does. Yeah, it always does. And what I'm very concerned about, that we have the mindset today, the throwaway mindset. The expiry date on marriage is just like the expiry date on a can of beans. If it expires date, we just throw it away. Mm. I think that happens within... We've got to call people back to faithfulness to God, uh, dedication, commitment, the desire to self-sacrifice, deny oneself live for the glory of God, endure hardship. Sometimes it involves suffering. 
and trying to live according to the norms of Scripture. Um, if you don't have a biblical basis for a divorce, but you are being abused, whatever it is, separate. Try to mend the marriage. Uh, if it is completely impossible to mend the marriage, well, you can remain celibate. What's wrong with that? The Bible said that there's some people born celibate. There's some people become celibate for the kingdom of God's sake. Uh, so I, I, there's no other grounds uh, other than what I mentioned there that uh, I don't find it in Scripture, and I don't recommend that we go outside of Scripture. And just to be clear, you were in no way saying that if someone is being physically beaten that they should stay in that relationship in the name of Christianity. Oh, no. I, I, look, people who normally stay, if you've got a person who's violent and who's aggressive and like to put their hand on you, uh, it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. Uh, and until that person is willing to deal with this matter, because it's a matter of control, and uh, it could actually lead to you being maimed or you uh, you know, come in one day and cut you with a cutlass or shoot you. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to recommend that for anybody staying in the marriage like that. Uh, separation, try to get some kind of counseling. And either the person gets converted or really get a real um, willingness to change the whole manner, manner of dealing with situations, try to get the kind of help, and then maybe go back together. But don't stay in that situation. It's going to... It's bad, by the way, it's bad for the children as well. To stay in a situation where mommy's being abused and daddy's beating mommy and verbalizing and, and uh, tearing her down on a daily basis and demeaning her, it's not good for the children to say that. As a matter of fact, there's so much anger in those kids that even when they make, even going to their own marriage, it could affect their own marriage. So God has called us to peace. Remember that. God has called us to peace. If you, you want the marriage to work, you do everything for marriage to work, but it comes to a point where it's completely unbearable, separation is the order, not divorce. Divorce, there must be infidelity or there must be a complete abandonment. Thank you very much for those who are sending in these very practical questions this evening. Pastor, we have one that just came in via Facebook. What do you think of a partner wanting the other to sign prenuptial agreement before marriage? This has become, I wouldn't say necessary, but this is... Uh, has happened because so many marriages uh, are breaking down and the expectations are, are not met. Uh, you marry a person and they're sexy. I mean, man, they're the epitome of sex. And you get married a cold iceberg. Uh, I mean, that's not what you planned, right? Uh, you have a very strong sexual drive. And there are people that, uh, I don't recommend it, by the way, but there are people that uh, want to be sure that their needs are going to be met. So they say, we're going to have sex three times a week or four times a week. That's part of the agreement, right? Because they might find that they marry a partner and then the partner once a month. I mean, you can't, you, you, that's not what you, you bargain for. And that is not right as well, because the Bible said that the, both partners should mutually meet each other's needs. Read Corinthians chapter 7. One should not defraud the other. And if one wants to restrain from sexual activity for some noble purpose like prayer and fasting, even then there must be a consultation between the, the partners to decide uh, that this will be halted. And then Paul says, after it's over, come back together speedily, lest the person be tempted and led astray. So even when it comes to prayer and fasting, uh, the legitimate needs of a, a partners need to be met. Listen, I, I tell people this already. God made a man to be able to meet 
the sexual needs of, a, of his wife. And God made a wife to be able to meet the sexual needs of her husband. So there should be a mutuality in this this, this, this matter. And um, I would not, um, I mean, I wouldn't recommend that you uh, people go through this process. But again, I don't know if there's anything wrong with it to be very specific. For example, uh, I'm not sure, you know, well, she promised me that she's going to, cook breakfast she's going to cook but then I marry her and she, she burns the water <laughs> what are they do in a case like that so I think because of a lot of these things have happened people are trying to forestall going into a situation so that um, they don't want to end up being unhappy what about in relation to prenuptial agreements in relation to like uh, let's say one marriage partner has is has a huge inheritance and they're worried that the other marriage partner may be marrying them for the money so that if they get divorced they'll split it 50-50 which would still be a large sum of money is it wise in your biblical perspective to uh, have that fallback plan that you don't get look my marriage is based on trust okay if i can surrender my body to a person I should be able to surrender my other assets because it's, there's nothing more humbling than for a partner to surrender their body to the, to the other person. So I think trust is a big thing. However, we are now living in an age where we are now seeing that 50% of Christian marriages are failing. Uh, people are fearful. And uh, we are discovering as well that people marry people for so many other reasons Then the real reason comes out. I think if the person um, persons are comfortable with it and they uh, want to make sure that there's a period of trust and uh, faithfulness that they can make better judgments, I think because of the moral state of our times, I would not in any way um, be offended if I was going to marry somebody at this stage and, they, and I had tremendous assets and I was... Um, expressing my concern of the way the, the, the uh, even in the church things are going and I wanted a period of time to to be able to to have my faith in that person built up my trust reassured and I wanted to mutually agree on some kind of a, a contract that would stipulate that I, I wouldn't have any misgivings about that at all to be honest with you I can see why it's happening though because we're in a real terrible state of moral decline in, in society at large and the church is not far behind because the thinking of the church has seeped, the thinking of the world has seeped into the church and now it's contaminated our thinking. And consequently, we're not seeing behavioral changes that are much different than within the world. And this has created a, a, a situation of complete distrust. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time on this Tuesday evening is 8.48. still have 10 minutes left in the program. We would love for you to send in a question via WhatsApp or text. You can send it to 268-782-1454, or you can comment it on Facebook Live beside the video feed. It'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Or you can call and be put live on the air, and the phone number to do that is one two six eight. 462-7420. Live on the air, 462-7420. Pastor Murphy, you were talking about causes of affairs and the environment and the workplace. Is it just the secular workplace that is 
uh, sexually charged or that affairs, uh, extramarital affairs, take place in? Oh no, definitely not. I mean, if we if that were true, uh, you wouldn't have all these scandals coming out about pastors and secretaries and evangelists and the workers. No, you might be very surprised that even within the church setting, um, one has to be very, very careful. Um, in our church, I can only speak about myself. Um, in our church, I made sure uh, from the time I knew we were going to have some kind of a secretary eventually, I replaced all the, the, replaced the doors with glasses, with a glass door, so that people can see from the church and coming to the church what's going on in the office and the office between the pastor and the church there's also a door with a glass that is no curtain I think pastors need to be very very careful because anytime you have a male and a female in an environment of isolation the potential for uh, infidelity is very very real and especially if it's a situation where there's an authority figure that is respected uh and I would use use the word generally loved or appreciated. There are things that can happen that are not intended, uh, unintended consequences. So uh, one needs to be very watchful in that regard. Uh, the other thing is counseling. Uh, that's the breeding ground for infidelity. And why it, is that? Uh, because when you're counseling somebody, uh, they are getting an emotional need met that is not being met within the home. For example, a wife that turns to a pastor for counsel because she's having problems with her husband. Generally speaking, men are not talkers. Men are great talkers when they're dating. After marriage, they they become very, very mute. Women are talkers generally before marriage, after marriage, during marriage, during, during <laughs> bed, during, <laughs> they're just talkers. Uh, but when a woman finds a person that really sits and listens and pay attention and shows real interest in what they're saying, there are, the strange chemistry begins to happen and they get attached, emotionally attached. Is it not fascinating that that's how the devil got Eve, a conversation? Right. Think about it, a conversation. He would never have gotten Adam in that kind of a conversation. Adam would have said yes, no, and that's it. But as long as he can get a conversation, he knew she was going to be trapped. And this has been the downfall of women again and again. They, 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 they like to communicate, they like conversations, they like to feel appreciated, like to uh, feel that they're heard and listened to. And if they can find a person that, that is that way, and generally speaking, that's a counselor, that's a pastor, that's a person in a, a position in the, in, in the office. They come into the boss and the boss see you a little bit down and call you in the office, hey, what's happening? And then you download, you know, I, I, this happened and that happened and bam 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 and he he sits and he listens and he all ears. Um, that could be the beginning of a relationship because uh, finally I've got somebody who listens to me. I know last week you mentioned that because there's more women in the workplace than there was a couple of generations ago, there is likely more uh, extramarital affairs in the workplace. Isn't that a little sexist to say that, Pastor? What it's sexist or not is true. People got to realize what truth is truth. It's not, it's not uh, trying to be kosher, it's not trying to be, to say the political correct thing. 
uh, the statistics you just mentioned, the main place, this is not even a Christian uh, statistic you got, this is yeah. from a sec, that the main place of infidelity is the workplace. And again, anyone with any measure of common sense could see why that would happen. It's where you spend the most of your day. You spend most of your day, and you spend it among people who are dressed well, talk well, smell well, look well, attractive. But not only that, very often they have some prestigious position that your husband may not have. They are the leader that you are looking for. Uh, if your husband is, is uh, you know, he's not, he's not a recognized person, he's not a leader, he's not whatever it is, uh, very, very careful you can get attachment. Look, every woman uh, that marries a man is looking for a leader, somebody to lead them. And the truth of the matter is we have very few of them. So that is why women are beginning to take over, right? And when they do find this leader that they can now respect, again, it is just a natural part. There's an attachment that is there. And that's why you find that within the workplace, it is so common. So it's not a sexist thing. It's a truthful thing that is being said. Uh, one other thing, Brother Nathan, you know, we've got to be very careful that uh, because people feel offended uh, for making certain statements, that um, if you're making a truthful statement and you have no ill intent, uh, I, for one, I'm not going to be apologetic. I'm not going to feel sorry that I made this statement either. I just made this statement as a truthful statement, and I'm not, not, not something to retract. If I do something I think is really wrong, I, say, yeah, I, I would do it, but not, not in a case like this. I got a Facebook question, and then we got a call coming yeah. in. Pastor, the Facebook question, within the church, sometimes we rank sins. Adultery and other forms of sexual sin are at times considered to be repulsive, especially within the church. What advice would you give to Christians when relating to brethren who would have fallen and repented? Further, how can we guard against ranking sins? Well, I don't know if it's impossible to start ranking sins. For example, uh, while sin is sin, the consequences of sin are not equally the same. Uh, in the case of adultery or, or, or fornication, uh, a lot of people get hurt. It's not just, I mean, family get hurt, children get hurt, uh, uh, not just the immediate family, the other families. So you, you've got two different families, and you've got extended family get hurt along the process. So I think it's very difficult not to uh, have a hierarchy in our minds uh, as far as sin is concerned. So, so uh, you know, telling a lie is not the same as committing adultery. It may have repercussions, it may have consequences, but not as severe consequences. So I don't know if it's, impo- it's possible to stop ranking sin. We ought to face that sin is sin. But we ought to realize that there's some sins that are more grave than some sins. A man that commits homosexuality, for example, is a far graver sin than a man that commits fornication, in the sense that one is an aberrant behavior, one is contrary to God's established uh, principle of sexuality and one is really a, a perversion so you can't put both they're both sin but you can't put them on par uh, what was the other question? Uh, what advice would you give to Christians when relating to brethren who would have fallen and repented? I think that a person that has fallen and repented uh, needs to be restored and we need that uh, to make sure that they don't feel... You know, Paul talks about this in Corinthians after he had advised the church to put the young man out who had committed incest with his stepmother and the church was boasting. And then the next book, uh, uh, apparently this young man had repented and the believers were hesitant to restore him. And Paul says, you know what, you're going to drive this guy to the point where he gives up all hope 
and uh, you need to restore him. And Paul said, I forgive him. You need to forgive him and restore him because he can become so distraught and so discouraged that he gives up on the Christian life. So I think that we need to um, help people who have committed acts of sin to be restored. And there are some situations where they cannot be restored to the office that they were involved in. Uh, some sins exclude people and disqualify people from certain positions. In our church, uh, if a person commits adultery, he is removed from being a deacon. He can't be a deacon in our church because the biblical standard for leadership in the church, the, 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 the premier things is the moral qualifications. And we let people know that in our church. But uh, there's nothing wrong in a person who's even that happened, maybe t- teaching a Sunday school class, uh, even bringing a message once in a while, but as far as a leadership role, uh, and then, of course, a person like that wouldn't be allowed to counsel uh, people because they clearly have a clear weakness there. But generally speaking, we should try to get them restored and try to get them restored to some area of ministry. And if for some reason they become disqualified for the particular ministry that they desire, we should also offer an alternative. But we should uh, not hold it against them indefinitely so that they uh, see no reason for coming to church other than attending. Uh, people want to get involved in ministry. Let's make sure we restore it to the point where they can be involved. So we're talking about extramarital affairs, and we're out of time for the program tonight. But, Pastor, is it okay to be involved in an extramarital affair if my spouse knows about it and is okay with it? It's not if your spouse is okay with it. Is God okay with it? What does the Bible say? And the Bible is very, very clear that infidelity is contrary to God's will, contrary to God's word. So it doesn't matter who is okay with it. It's against God's will. It's wrong. You're listening to That's Truth. And thank you for joining us for tonight's program. We only made it about halfway through the pro- the material that we have. So we will pick this topic up next week. Be sure that you tune in next week as we continue to discuss this topic. And let me encourage you, invite others, co-workers, invite friends and family. No matter where they live, they can listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Have a blessed night, and Lord willing, we will join you again next Tuesday evening. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.